Most gracious and heavenly Father, we thank you for being such an amazing God, and we thank you for the opportunity that you've given us to come here to your house. Lord, we, we, we've heard wonderful music, we, we've heard prayers, we got a chance to sing songs, we got a chance to return to you what was yours, and we even had a chance to just come before your throne of grace. But now as we're about to open the scriptures, we dare not do this without calling upon the power of your Holy Spirit for guidance, wisdom, and understanding. May you anoint my lips and prepare the rest of the folks here, their hearts and their minds, to be receptive to your word. May it be you speaking and not I. In your name we pray. Amen. So we're going back to the basics, and um, you know, I, I told you that I'll get a chance to beat you up in about six months or so. But for right now, I want to make sure that we have a core foundation. We've discussed various topics. We talked about, you know, our need for Christ. We talked about God's love for us. We even talked about repentance. Well, today we're going to talk about confession. What is? What is it about? How does it work? Because you see, part of the problem is that it is difficult for us to practice something or do something if we don't really fully understand it. And that's one of those things. And so I started to look through our history for some events where some form of confessions took place. And, and, and I wonder, you know, what that looked like to see what confession may or may not be. And so I found a story that, that took place over in Britain where uh, this guy by the name of William uh, Beverbrook, he um, He's a publisher and a politician. He wrote an article, a very bad, nasty article about this guy, Edward Heath. And some time later, he runs into him in, in, in the man's bathroom. And as he's there, it's kind of awkward. But the, the, the publisher that, that wrote this bad thing about Edward Heath says, hey, you know, I, I realize now that I made a mistake and I'm so sorry. And, and so I, I, I want to confess to you that, that I was wrong and, and that this is whatever. And so I asked for your forgiveness. And so Edward Heath replied, replied and said to him, look, I wish that you would have insulted me privately and apologized publicly, then insult me publicly and apologize privately. Then you had another incident with Frederick the Great. He was the Prussian king. He went to visit a Berlin prison. And when he went into the prison to do his tour, every single prisoner just dropped at his feet, knelt before his majesty and says, Hey, please, I'm innocent. Please forgive us. Please let me out of here. I'm innocent. I don't belong here. So all of them were dropped to their knees except one individual. And he says to that one individual, Sir, why are you here? And he says, for robbery? And are you guilty? Oh, yes, sir. I deserve my punishment. I, I did it all. And, you know, everything that I'm getting here, I absolutely deserve. Yes, sir, I am guilty. So immediately the king, he made an announcement to, to, to the, to, to the uh, guard. And he says, you know what? Set this man free, you know, uh, at once. Lest he corrupt all of the innocent people we have here in this prison. And so that was, you know, a, a confession that he made there. 1884, Grover Cleveland. You know, he was going against James Blaine. Some of you may know if you're good at history. I'm terrible at history. But anyhow, what happens is that he was a bachelor. He was running for president. And they find out that he actually had a child on the way with a lady that was not his and she, you know, it was there and it was hidden and it was in secret. So his opponent decided to uh, go right ahead and, and um, take an advantage of this opportunity. So he actually put signs with like a little baby and says, look, one more vote for Cleveland. And then they even made a song as they were chanting with the signs. Mama, mama, where's my pa? Going to the White House. Ha, ha, ha. And they're doing this chanting and all of that. But that move completely backfired. 
because then Mr. Mr. Cleveland went forward and he shared and confessed publicly with everyone his lapse in judgment, the mistake that he had made, where he's at. He explained his situation. Look, I was single. She was a widower. You know, I'm sorry. And he and he was very candid. And the fact that he was very honest and very candid made him the very next president of the United States. And so you have there some examples of confessions that took place. But what is it really? Is it to, to pretend to be candid, to, to earn something? Is it to admit wholeheartedly? What does it entail? Should we guess? Should we speculate? Go with me to Psalm 32. Psalm 32. And when you have it, say amen. I love the scriptures and I love that, that Bible text about going line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. You know, if you have a question about anything, the scriptures is a phenomenal place to look into. Psalm 32, we'll begin on verse 1, and when you have it, say amen. A Psalm of David, a contemplation. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Verse 2. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Some of us try to kid ourselves and try to lie and minimize things. Verse 3. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all day long. Verse 4, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. Selah. I don't know if you're familiar with Selah. Musicians, pay attention for this. You know how you have a, a quarter rest and you have a half rest and, a, a, and you got a, like four beats where you, where you rest or a whole rest. You have different rests in music where there's a pause. Selah is a musical pause. However... It's a musical pause where you need to sort of pay attention. So, you know, I'm saying something, something important. Shh, Selah. Do you get that? Do you hear what I just said? And so whenever you see Selah in the Psalms, it is a musical pause, but it's a musical pause, not just a rest. Like when you're doing music for, for uh, you know, a, a couple of measures. No, no. This is a pause like, hey, are you paying attention? Are you listening? And so look at what happens with him. He's talking about how blessed you are when there's no deceit in you, when your sins are forgiven, when your sins are covered, when everything is all right. Praise God. Glory. Hallelujah. to the Luya. However, for me, when I kept silent, this messed me up. I was doing bad. Every bone in me was just, I, I was struggling night and day, all day long. Shh, Selah. Do you hear what I just said? This is David confessing and sharing this. For this cause, everyone who is godly, this is verse 6, shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters, they shall not come near him. Verse 7, you are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. What, what does it say again, church? Selah. See, it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter where you're going through. It doesn't matter how horrible things may be. It doesn't matter how bad that sin may or may not be. He is your hiding place. He is the one that should surround you with songs of deliverance. Verse 8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. 
I will guide you with my eye. Do you see that transition there? He's talking about how he was, and now it seems like it is the Lord speaking. I will guide you with my eye. Verse 9, do not be like the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and brittle, else they will not come near you. Many sorrows, verse 10, shall be to the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Verse 11, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Steps to Christ, page 39, says, Confession will not be acceptable to God without sincere repentance, which we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, and reformation. There must be decided changes in the life. Everything offensive to God must be put away. This will be the result of genuine sorrow for sin. The work that we have to do on our part is plainly set before us. And she's quoting here from Isaiah 1, 16 and 18, 16 through 18. It says, watch yourselves, make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Verse 17, learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. Verse 18, come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And so... You're seeing a criteria here, and I like what the Lord does. I'm going to talk about this in a couple of weeks. But he is a God that says, come on now, let us reason together. Let, let's talk about this. Let's see where we are. Let's see where we stand. Because you see, salvation is a gift of God. However, if we have things in our lives that get in the way of our connection with the Creator, we are in trouble. Which is why it's crucial for this concept of repentance and also this thing about confession. Now, what is confession? Or rather, you know, what, what does it look like? Well, here's some Bible texts. And I could send you a list later. I just want to tell you some of the highlights. And I'll gladly provide you this stuff. If you sign up for that emailing list, you can say, hey, send me your notes. I'll be more than happy to do that as well. But Leviticus 5.5 says, he shall confess... In which he has sinned. If you messed up, confess. Numbers 5, 7. He shall confess his sins. And a little bit later in that same verse talks about making restitution. So it's not only confessing. If I messed up or broke something or whatever, I need to make restitution as well. Proverbs 28, 13. He who confesses and forsakes his transgression will find compassion. So it's not only confessing and making restitution, it's also confessing, but you need to forsake whatever that is. Otherwise, I could sit there all day long and telling God how sorry I am about whatever it is I'm doing and still keep doing it. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. Acts 19, 18. Many kept coming and confessing and disclosing their practices. Do you know the difference between sin and iniquity? If you get to know an individual, biblically speaking, if you get to know them for a night, that's like, you know, like a one night thing. That's a sin. If it's an ongoing affair where you're scheduling places to meet and hiding and all of that, and it goes on for months, that's an iniquity. That's a practice that you're doing ongoing, nonstop, and you continue to do that. Some of us have sins in our lives. We have those oopsie moments where we made a mistake, where we backslid. But many of us are practicing sinners. 
And so that's a piece right there that we need to take before the throne of grace. James 5.16, it says, confess your sins to one another. Now it goes a little bit further than just confessing your sins. It goes a little bit further than making restitution and forsaking. Now it also says to confess your sins to one another. Now I know this is easier said than done. I know that this is a struggle. That there's a joke that I mentioned last week or, or, or two weeks ago where it talks about like, you know, like four priests going into this place and they're talking and they're all confessing their vices. One of them says, well, you know, I, I, I like to uh, sneak out uh, of, of church and, and go to the theaters. And another one said, well, I, I like to, you know, smoke cigars. I just love indulging on cigars, especially those Cuban cigars. They're just phenomenal. Another one says, well, you know, I have this gambling thing where I struggle with gambling and, and I love playing cards and that's my that's my vice and then the other one they were waiting for him but he wouldn't say anything he wouldn't say anything and finally he said come on and he says well my struggle is gossip and i can't wait to get out of here and tell everybody else what i've heard so so i do get it i do get it that it might be difficult to come to to a place like this and share with one another but i really yearn for the day that we're able to do such a thing if we can't come to this place which is a hospital for sinners I mean, you have the hospital, you got sick people, you're going to say, well, I'm not going to go there because there's a whole bunch of sick people there. Well, you know, that's a place to go to. If you were, if you were fixed and you were not a, a, a sick, why well, we need to go to a hospital? And some people say, well, I don't want to go to church because there's a whole bunch of hypocrites. Uh, there, there's a whole bunch of people that do gossip, etc. That's fine. But this is the place to be. This is the place to be. But I yearn for the day that we're able to really come and be able to confess our sins to one another. You know, I, I grew up very, very poor and, and um, in actually one of the poorest cities in, in, in the U.S. right now, which is Camden, New Jersey. And in Camden, New Jersey, because it's a poor city, the, it, it seems to go hand in hand. Drugs and alcohol is huge. Many people just into alcohol and drugs. You could tell when they're addicted. You could, you, you could see that there. And then you have people who struggle with it, but then something bad happens and they find themselves in a bar or going somewhere to a corner to find something to get a quick fix because they want to go back to what they had to, to drown or, 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 or uh, let their troubles just sort of fade away, at least even if for a moment. And so in that kind of scenario, I know that probably, that's probably not an issue here in Tallahassee, but at least in Camden, New Jersey, in that scenario, do you know how many people would have benefited from being able to come to a body and a family where they can share their burdens and their troubles? Their burdens and troubles, instead of drowning them over a drink or, or try to get them to go away through drugs, they could have come to a family. Not only that, even if they did take that drink or they did ingest that drug in some way or another, they could have come to us and say, hey, you know what? I, I, I backslid yesterday. I drank. I smoked. I did this. I did that. The problem is that they're afraid of how you're going to react. You see, God says, come to me exactly as you are. But when they do and they show up how they are to church, we, God's people, scare them away, push them away. Or we start talking bad about them because, you see, as humans, we have a different, we measure sin. There's somewhere in the Bible, somewhere between Genesis and Revelation that it says that if you break one sin, your one commandment, you're guilty of them all. 
And yet in our eyes, if I were to tell you I lied to my son this morning versus I killed somebody yesterday, you know, I lied to my son. Eh, it's okay. We parents, we do that all the time. I killed somebody yesterday. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. You know, you, you, you kind of go through that, through that thing because we characterize in our minds that there are worse sins than others. Yet in the eyes of God, you break one, you're guilty of them all. That's exactly how it works. And so imagine the following. I'm an alcoholic, I'm a drug addict, or even let's say that I'm having problems within my marriage. And I'm able to show up here and say, look, I drank yesterday, or I did drugs yesterday, or you know what, please pray for my wife and I, we're really struggling, etc. And what happens is that if I can come to a family of people where I can confess my sins, and they, they greet me with love and not judgment, perhaps they, they provide much prayer and talk about me on their knees rather than behind my back. Perhaps even they can provide some kind of assistance, whatever that is, from a rehab facility to even a counselor that they use in their own marriage. You know what, brother? I've been there, done that. This person completely helped my wife and I. Go ahead and give them a call. Could you imagine that? The problem is that because of the shaming that happens in church because of sin, and because many of us walk around here thinking that we have never sinned, and we've long forgotten where we've been, because of that very reason, I'm hiding my marital issues. I'm hiding my drug, my drug addiction. I'm hiding my alcohol problems. And so it is not until... I can no longer pretend that I'm not addicted to drugs or addicted to alcohol until I can no longer pretend like I'm playing house that the church goes, oh, we didn't know. How can this be? Tan, tan, tan. Could you imagine that? How nice it would be that we're able to do the biblical thing where we can really be called a family that can come and share with one another where we've been. That seems to be what confession has to do with 1 John 1.9. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Now, the rest of the church members won't forgive you, but my God definitely will. Come on, church. You can't say amen. Say ouch. Psalm 32.5, it says, I acknowledge my sin to thee. I will confess my transgression to the Lord. Psalm 38.18, I confess my iniquity. Isaiah 6.5, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. Luke 15.21, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. Luke 18.13, God be merciful to me, the sinner. The word confession in the Greek is exomologeo. And let me tell you this definition because it's, um, it's pretty cool. It says to confess, to profess, and look at this one, to acknowledge openly and joyfully. Come on, who has ever confessed openly and joyfully? Like, ah, let me tell you this. I messed up this one. No, it's usually, I kind of, you know, what was that? I, I sorry because I, I'm sorry. What was that? And we try to find a way to disguise it, but it is to do it openly and joy, joyfully. What confession is not, step to Christ, by, uh, page 37. The conditions of obtaining mercy of God are simple and just and reasonable. The Lord does not require us to do some grievous thing in order that we may have the forgiveness of sin. We need not to make a long, wearisome pilgrimage or perform painful penances to commend our souls to the God of heaven or to expiate our tense transgression. But he that confesseth and forsaketh his sin shall have mercy. 
So it's not something tedious, no kind of penance that you need to do. It's simply confessing. Confessing is not giving God information. God, you won't believe what I've done today. He already sees it all. Confessing is not speculation to try to play it down. Well, you know, if I've offended you in any way, if I have whatever, then I'm sorry. You know, I used to do that when I was a kid because I used to do a lot of bad stuff when I would get in trouble and I would get caught. I was like, look, it wasn't me. But if you think it was me, I just want to go right ahead and apologize for that. But it wasn't me. And then my honesty was good enough for them to believe that it wasn't me. Uh, you can't do that with God. It is not how it works. It is not a joke where you say to people, I I'm sorry, it, it was just a joke. No, if, if you acknowledge the pain you've caused them, then really, truly confess and apologize accordingly. It is not asking or pleading God to forgive our sins. That's totally different. Asking forgiveness and confessing, two separate things. It is not plea bargaining, you know, for a lesser deal and say, yes, but God. And, you know, you know those promises you make with God. It is not emotional graveling or men mental contortions. It is not a psychological catharsis, you know, just feel good because I got it out of my chest. It's more than that. It's not superficial or flippant incantation. You know, after all, Christ died for our sins. This is a serious thing when you confess. It's not just to just say it just because. Okay? It is not confessionalism. You know, some of us are constantly confessing the same thing over and over and over. It cracks me up when we do prayer meeting. By the way, we're having an awesome time in this prayer meeting. Not in this church. It's those, those other churches, you know. But um, in prayer meeting when uh, we ask for praises or prayer requests. And we had the sister that gets up and gives the same testimony from back in the 50s. How the Lord delivered her. Look, man, the Lord is delivering me daily. The fact that I woke up this morning, praise God, glory, hallelujah. You know, there, there, there's a lot of reasons to be thankful for God. But then she's also confessing the 50s, the same sin and the same struggle. It's okay too. My, the beautiful thing about my God is that when you take something before him and you truly confess and you give it to him, he throws it in the bottom of the deepest ocean. He locks the key away and he remembers it no more. And then if you bring it up to him, he's like, what are you talking about? What sin, brother? What, what sin, sister? What, what is that? I have no idea. So you don't just do this over and over, or you don't do it to compete. You know, like, like guys, you know, we're, we're very competitive. And, and, and so, you know, it, it's not like, oh, man, I gotta confess to you, I've sinned this way. <laughs> you think that's sin? <laughs> I, I'm worse than you. You should, you should hear my sin. That, that's not real confession either. It is not comparing who's the worst sinner. Although that, shame on you for that period. But yes, it's not how it works. It is also not based on false established attitudes or false information. I, I call this partial confession. You know, Sorry, honey, you know, it, it happened just that once. No, it didn't. If it happened more than once, be truthful, come out in the clear. Don't just disclose briefly. When I do marriage counseling, it, it gets to me sometimes when I, when I see that they sort of, I know the one party confessed everything to me, but when we go in the session, they only share bits and pieces. Like, come on, you sure there's nothing else you want to share? Is there anything you want once and for? We want to start this relationship with all the cards on the table. So, yes, it's not partial confession. It's not forced or involuntary. When I was a Pathfinder eight, uh, many years ago, about 80 pounds ago, I, I remember, you know, uh, my friend Edgar and I, we were inseparable. Uh, and so we like to play pranks from time to time. One day I will tell you of all of the cool pranks. Neil, if you want some information, I'll be more than happy to let you know, brother. But, you know, this particular prank, my friend decided to put toothpaste, uh, sneak into the director's tent and put toothpaste, but he got the wrong pair of shoes. He put in the director's wife's shoes. 
And so, but the fool left his toothpaste with his name on it because mom would write the name so he didn't get it messed up. So he left the evidence all up in the tent. And whenever Edgar is in trouble, so is Joey. So as a result, he made us march around the camp, or well, not march, more like jogging for two hours, apologizing to him. His name is Octavius, but we call him Tavo. So for two hours, sorry Tavo, sorry Tavo, sorry Tavo, the whole entire time. Were we really sorry? Did we really mean it? It's not how it works. You can't force it to people. You can't just say, you know what? It's like when my parents used to tell me to hug my brother or shake his hand. That doesn't work. That is not how you fix things. You can't fix this stuff, you know, and make people do it. It's not how it works. It's not involuntary. It's not forced. It has to be something that is natural that happens within. You can't just make someone hug or shake hands or run around apologizing because it's they don't mean it. Is not coming from God. Therefore, it does not work. And confession is not making excuses. You see this in Genesis with Adam and Eve? Adam, what happened, son? Oh, that woman you gave me. Oh, really? Woman, what happened? Oh, the snake that was in. They, they did not admit that they had made a mistake and they violated one of the commands of God. But instead, they found excuses. And sometimes we do that. When you apologize to someone, if there's a but or an if in that apology, you need to stop. That's not a real apology. I'm so sorry, but if you will have not... No, 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 no. I'm sorry if you will... No, no, no. It is not how it works. There's no buts, there's no ifs, there's no excuses whatsoever. Really admit where you are. Now, what is confession? Go with me to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. When you have a say, amen. John chapter 1, 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. 1 John 1, verses 8 through 10. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If anyone here has not sinned, the door is right there. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's absolutely nothing that you're struggling with that my God cannot take care of. Verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So we have to stop deceiving ourselves and recognizing what confession is. We got to recognize that we are struggling, that we are sinners and we all have sinned. Number two, we have to cease to continue this whole defense mechanism, denial, or minimizing of things. Number three, we have to call sin, sin. If it's an orange, call it an orange. Do not deny it. I love how Paul did this in Acts 26, 10 to 11. He says, this I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in every synagogue. I compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. He was very clear and very open in everything that he did. That's how you work with confession. Don't minimize it. Don't hide it. Call it exactly for what it is. 1 Timothy 1.15. 1 Timothy 1.15. Here's yet another example. Not only call it what it is, but really recognize. Really recognize who you are. 
Because it is only then that you can go before the throne of grace. This is a faithful saying. This is 1 Timothy 1.15. And worthy of all acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Amen? Amen. Of whom I am chief. He had no problem whatsoever recognizing where he stood. Go with me to Proverbs 28.13. Proverbs 28.13. We'll look at the last text for today. Proverbs 28.13. Because you see, part of repentance is not only calling sin what it is, not only recognizing who you are, but it's also having a change of mental attitude and perhaps even behavioral, depending on what it is. Proverbs 28, 13, it says, He who covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Number six in what sin is, is inclusive of asking forgiveness for wrongdoing, especially if it's another person. Okay? And also inclusive of restitution. When you look at Numbers 5, 7 and Luke 19, 8, you see that people made restitution not in the same, but two to four times more than what they did. So if I borrow Gary's car and I crash it, I'll get him two cars, according to the Bible, or four. Every time restitution was made in the Bible, two to four times as much as you see in those biblical examples. Come on now. Can't say amen. Say ouch. <laughs> All right. So, here's a couple of parts of confession, all right? First of all, to whom do we confess our sins? The very first thing, and we see some examples in Proverbs 32, 5, Proverbs 28, 13, and 1 John 1, 9. You, uh, you give this to God, between you and God. Doesn't matter what you've done, you always got to go to God first. Every single time you go to God, okay? However, if you sin against someone, according to Matthew 5, 23 and 24 and James 5, 16, you must also not only confess it to God, but you must confess it to that person. You must make it clear of what you've done and what you struggle with. And number three, if this is something that is of a public nature, according to 2 Corinthians 2, 6, James 5, 16, you must then confess it publicly however publicly means the following if i made a mistake before my board of elders or the church board that's who i'm apologizing to i'm not going to come before the church and make an apology for something ha that happened in a group full of 10 people if something happens here within this entire church my public apology should be to you i'm not going to go and broadcast it in the newspaper call a call a press conference and apologize to the whole world understand that there's parameters to this why because the devil is very good at doing what he wants to with sin. And even in our confessions, he could try to turn to something bad. Should we be afraid of the negative outcome? Absolutely not. We're following what the Lord is asking us to do. But this is something that we ought to keep in mind. How long should we go before confessing? According to Ecclesiastes 3.15 and Philippians 3.13, right away. It is compared like a stumbling. You know, if, I, if, I, if, I, if I'm running around trip and now do a face plant on the floor, am I just going to stay there and just, just simmer on it for a little bit and just, just take it all in? Or am I going to get up right away so that I keep, keep on moving? When you will have a struggle as a Christian, you must right away, it's like a stumbling, get up, confess your sins, and keep on going. To do otherwise is to remain stagnant. But we are a movement after all, aren't we? Now, 
What happens if our sins is not confessed? Well, according to the scriptures, Isaiah 59.2 and Romans 8.39, we may have some effects, uh, there might be some effects to our redemption. Proverbs 28.13, our salvation, our sanctification, our eternal destiny. Uh, Psalm 32.3, our physical well-being. Psalm 32.4, our psychological well-being. Isaiah 59.2 and 66.18, our prayer life. All of these areas are affected by the lack of confession. What if a person doesn't feel forgiven when they confess their sins? Well, we do not live by feelings, but we live by faith. First uh, John 1, 9 tells us that God is faithful. He is faithful. So when you still feel guilty, examine the motives of your confession. Remember that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. And have you forgiven or asked others for forgiveness? And have you made necessary restitutions? We see some of that in Revelation 12.10. And the last one, have you forgiven yourself? Will you bring a charge against God's elect? Romans 8, 33. These are all of the areas of confession. And you're saying, all right, I'm hungry. We got potluck. Let's go ahead and finish. But I want you to understand, this is something that is very, very crucial. Many of us have struggled with this confession stuff for many, many years. You know, I went to a church in New Jersey. Um, it was in North Jersey. I forget. It was a Spanish church. And I won't tell you more than that now because just in case the Adventist world is a small world. But I went to a church there and there were two families that had not spoken to each other for over 15 years. And when I got there and I was talking to them and meeting with them, I, and I finally sat down with them, they could not remember what started it all. They remember some other stuff in between. Like, yeah, I remember last Sabbath, you looked at me the wrong way. Or the other Sabbath, you know, you whatever. But they could not remember what happened all those years before. They just know they couldn't stand each other. But they didn't know why, necessarily, because so much time had passed. I have to tell you, there's an old um, song in Spanish that says, How can you pray while being upset at your brother? And then there's something somewhere in the Bible about leaving your, your, your offering in the altar, you know, just drop it right there and, and, and go make, you know, restitution before you even come and, and bring it back or something like that. It's almost biblical, isn't it? This whole concept of forgiving one another and loving one another, this is a matter of life and death, literally. However, especially when it comes to forgiveness and confession, there are things that I don't want to admit publicly. And there are people I don't want to forgive. It only comes from the Lord. So if you see yourself in this particular condition where you're struggling in any of these areas, go to the foot of the cross and ask the Lord for the strength so that you're able to carry out that which he asks of you. And if God is with you, who can be against you? My God, who would never ever leave you nor forsake you. Steps to Christ, page 41. The humble and broken heart, subdued by genuine repentance, will appreciate something of the love of God at the cost of Calvary. And as a son confessed to a loving father, so would the truly penitent bring all his sins before God. And it is written, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. May the Lord bless you and keep you.